Hey guys, it's Brian Howard. I'm the chef owner of Spare One Wolf. Hey, this is Joy Hoover, founder and CEO of the Cutgate Girls. Hey, this is Emily Brubaker. I'm the executive chef at All Foods Photo, and you're listening to Two Sharp Chefs. What's up, chefs, hospitality family, foodies? You're listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louie Victa, chef and professional food photographer. Thanks for joining us. We started this podcast in June 2019 to honor Anthony Bourdain, a fellow chef who gave us all a better understanding of different cultures and people through his daring food adventures. We're here to expand the dialogue. We're two chefs cooking up raw, honest conversations about chef life, food, and the hospitality industry. So come on in. You can sit with us. How awesome is today? Very awesome. We are talking with Nicole Brisson, chef. Um, Yes, we've been trying to plan this for a couple of years now with Nicole. Um, She's a total and complete awesome best. Um, She's opening two restaurants this summer at the New Resorts World. Um, Brezza which is going to be an upscale coastal Italian and Bar Zazu, which is more like tapas, charcuterie, lively bar joint kind of place. So because we are talking to Nicole, who is an expert at handmade pastas, we're talking in pandemic provisions about mm-hmm. our favorite pasta. I can't believe we've never talked about it um, in the last couple of years, but we haven't. Um, so mine, my favorite is Cacio e Pepe. Um, and basically it just means cheese and pepper. <laughs> Traditionally, it's black pepper, uh, grated Pecorino Romano and Tonarelli. But nowadays, a lot of people make it with spaghetti. That's how I make it at home. Um, and the reason why I like it, to be honest, it's that thing like... Um, Chris Decker talks about like when you judge pizza, it's by like a cheese pizza, not all the fancy stuff because you mm-hmm. can really taste the ingredients. And so when I have something like a cacio e pepe, it's like cheese, pasta, pepper. You know what I mean? Like that's not complicated at all. And you can really taste that handmade pasta from like a Gina Marinelli or a Nicole Brisson. Um, and it's just like naked almost, right? It's like with lingerie on instead of like the full outfit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, it goes back to the Roman Empire. So very, very old. Um, It is a dish of Rome. Mine is gnocchi. I love gnocchi. I love gnocchi. So gnocchi is like technically a dumpling, not really Mm -hmm. a noodle. And like, I really fell in love with it when I was watching the Godfather scene where they were making handmade gnocchi. Remember that one? Yes. How could I forget? Yeah. So my my particular favorite is like a sweet potato gnocchi um, and with the uh, sage and garlic butter and all that. Traditional. You know, yeah. traditional preparation. Because to me, whenever I have sweet potatoes in my gnocchi, I'm like, oh, it's full. <laughs> it's really comforting. Really, really comforting. So yeah, gnocchi for me. I freaking love gnocchi. I want some cacio e pepe. It's like carbs, carbs, carbs. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about carbs and meat and fish and the most delicious things ever coming up right now with Nicole Brisson. Louis, Chef Nicole Brisson is with us today. We are so stoked. We've actually been trying to get Nicole for about two years now. Like the schedules <laughs> and the restaurants have changed and switched. Yeah. And finally, we're here at this place. You had tons of success at Carnivino. That's actually where I met you a long time ago. Um, of course, you were the first female executive chef 
at an eatery in the U.S. James Beard nominated Best Chef Southwest. And now she is opening two new restaurants in the summer at Resorts World. Welcome. Thanks for finally joining us, Nicole. I do feel like we've been talking about this for over the last year and a half, if not more. So thank you for having me. I'm glad we made this work. For sure. Okay. So this is going to make you a little bit embarrassed, but too bad. Um, Let's start with your reputation among chefs. So these are words we've heard in the last week when we told people we were interviewing you. So you're going to get like kind of blushy, but that's okay. This is what we heard. Badass. We heard beast (laughs) several times. (laughs) Beautiful, Uh, though. (laughs) Super talented. And then this was funny. Like, this was a big time chef that told me this. She could run the whole resort. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, I'm not going to embarrass those people. But it was several, like, all around town. Louie and I are always like, you know, she's shooting people for Eater and for her, like, personal photography things. Like, I'm dining in at restaurants. I'm learning food stories. And it's like, like oh what are you guys doing and it's like oh we're talking to Nicole they're like ooh she's a <laughs> like I literally like all week that's all I heard so it's pretty funny um so how would you describe yourself as a chef yeah that's a funny thing to say because it's I, I don't think that we always I, I think chefs have kind of split personalities we have our personality outside of the kitchen and we have our personality inside the kitchen and you know, honestly, I, I've, I, I appreciate the, the beast, and, <laughs> but, but, you know, there's been times I've been called a militant bitch. Too. So, you know, it's, it's just, I think kind of like the nature of, of a woman in the kitchen, like you tend to have this, this seriousness, this focus, this determination. And I, I think that's what makes you successful in a lot of ways, because you can't really be that giggly kind of, I, I, I don't know, you have, you have to be focused and you and and I feel like women in the culinary industry are a lot like women in the medical or or law industry you know you have to constantly prove yourself and there are preconceived notions so every time you step into a new environment you know you have to work just as hard if not harder than the previous so you know that's kind of been my approach and one of my first mentors he said put your head down work hard and everything else will come you know I will have to say to you, the first time that, uh, the first and only time I got to cook with you was actually at Border Girl Mandalay Bay a few years ago for a Bon Appetit thing that um, I was the sous chef over for Mary Sue and Susan. And That's a great event. It was a, it was an awesome event, all women chefs. And then there was a, a panel um, talking what it was like to be, you know, like a woman chef in the industry. And it was very well stacked, like Christina Tosi and Susan Feniger and just, Elizabeth Blau, the best of the best. And Louis, um, the thing that I noticed about Nicole that was interesting, I'm gonna embarrass you just a tiny bit more before we keep moving, <laughs> was that your staff, um, it was all, at that time, it was a bunch of guys and they were like totally like tough, badass kind of chefs, cooks, you know, there was like a sous chef and a few cooks and they were like, so like on it. And when you got in the kitchen, they like tightened up and you could tell that you were there and, you know, that they knew that there was a chef present. And what I was told always, you know, like getting mentored by other female chefs was that, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a presence that's nonverbal and you definitely have that because all those guys were like, Oh, here comes chef. Everything's (laughs) clean. It's tidy. It looks good. And that to me is just like a sign that someone has like their shit going in the kitchen. So thank you. Yeah. I really thought that was cool. Okay. So you're in hustle mode at this point. (laughs) I know it was pretty hard to get you in the schedule. (laughs) 
Oh, hell yeah. Summer opening. Um, we think you're a bit crazy because you're opening two restaurants at a brand new resort. So opening a hotel, opening a casino, opening restaurants. Um, this is crazy. Louie and I have done it a few times. It can suck. It can be exciting, all kinds of things. So we got Brezza, an upscale coastal Italian restaurant and bar. Is it Zazu? Is that how you pronounce it? Bar Zazu. So Bar, bar Zazu is going to be uh, a wine bar, European tapas. We've got a lot of flexibility with this menu. So it's going to be really fun. Um, kind of during the day, it'll be a little more fast, casual, quick, you know, some grab and go items. And then at night it'll transition to like just this really cool place that you really want to grab a cocktail before dinner or potentially hang out after dinner and maybe have a, a small pastry bite or a couple savory bites, you know, to end, end off your, your day on the strip. And it's, we're really excited about this concept because it really gets me to kind of jump out of my comfort zone and experiment with some Spanish cuisine and French cuisine and just kind of pull from my roots and some of my staff that's been with me for a number of years, like their talents and just kind of bring it together in a a fun, a fun menu and a fun environment. So how are you feeling with how everything's going and what are you excited about? It's, <laughs> we were just on site uh, two and a half weeks ago and we're overdue to go on site again because it's been kind of challenging with COVID. Um, but right now we're a team of three. So it's, it's Jason, it's myself and it's uh, his, his right hand Leilani that came with him from a number of years of working together. And I bring on my first staff member this week. <laughs> it's a very small close knit team and, and we're growing from the ground up, but it's great because we're independent and we're, able to make all the decisions in real time. And, you know, it, it's been really interesting. You know, I opened Italy from the ground up from construction stage to, to opening. And that, that was different because we had an army of people, you know, we had a task force that came out from New York city and LA and um, Chicago. And it, we just had tons of resource and talent to kind of pull from, but here it's, it's really just us. And it's a little scary in a lot of ways, but super exciting. And we, I think we just really want to do everything the right way, you know, build our teams the right way, make every decision properly. And, you know, it's been interesting being involved in those electrical conversations and flooring conversations (laughs) and chairs, you know, sitting in each chair, making sure it it feels right and it looks right with the design. And, but, but super exciting in a lot of ways, you know, that, that we get to bring this. And my first, I think it's my first real restaurant getting to make all these decisions from the ground up with my team, you know? That's exciting. Um, you talked about doing things the right way. So we're going to, of course, move to the food because we're all chefs here. And you're a meat expert. So Carnivino was just kind of known. It's one of those restaurants like Bizarre Meat where you know that you're going to get the great, great, you know, heritage, uh, hand-picked, you know, at Bazaar, we knew the farmers. Uh, how important was it for you or is it to you to be able to hand select heritage breeds and really like focus on, you know, doing the right thing by the meat? Well, I think I think there's a handful of chefs out there like Jose Andres. Um, I mean, Mario Batali instilled these principles in me with Zach Allen over the years and it, it really took us going out to the production plants going out to the slaughterhouses spending time with the farmers and the cattle ranchers and, and just knowing how to select the great products and, and knowing that it's hard and more expensive to do it the right way than the wrong way and mm-hmm. I think we're really lucky at this time that we have 
our generation and the generations below us that are very conscious of what they up on the plate, you know, or what they're purchasing permanently. That COVID in a lot of ways has put a microphone or um, a microscope on that. And, and people are more, they're willing to spend a couple more dollars on a really good cut that's been treated well, slaughtered right, you know, packaged right. And then all those things, because it is, it is really important just to see Frank Reese and how he's blown up over the last year or so with the documentaries and he's finally got his his uh, non-for-profit going. I, I can't wait to get out there again and just spend time with these farmers again and support them. And, you know, if we don't support, supporting them is to save them. And um, something that we, we've been working on for the last year during COVID as well is we just started a Las Vegas slow food chapter. And I, I feel like that kind of ties in with a lot of the just things that I've been talking about for so many years, but also getting now getting the community involved and we can't wait. We're going to schedule a meet and greet at uh, um, the locations TBD, but we have to get finalization. Um, but we'll have a meet and greet coming up soon in the next couple of weeks. And then we're hoping to really do a big launch after we get opened at Resorts World, which will be super exciting. I want to be part of this. This is Definitely awesome. This is like, yeah. Mm, yeah, I want to get my hands in there. Um, let's talk a little bit more too about what this means for taste, for flavor, because yes, you know, like the three of us, we can get all super culinary nerd and like chefs can get culinary nerd about, you know, heritage breeds and slow food and that stuff. But as a customer, as somebody who comes to a restaurant and enjoys a meal, there's really a huge difference in flavor when it comes to doing it right. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you eat supermarket cuts compared to, to heritage cuts, I mean, you can see, and the quality, you know, I mean, pork, I think is the best example because there's mm-hmm. actually a color pork grading chart based on, on quality and breed. And there, there's so much that goes into it. And I, after eating Heritage Farms pork chops from, from Newman Farms or, or just the, whether it's Berkshire or Red Waddle or, or any of these different ones, Duroc and side by side with a supermarket cut. I mean, the supermarket cuts are usually pale and washed out and waterlogged. And it comes with that weird little diaper underneath it that you should never <laughs> really need that diaper <laughs> underneath right. your piece of meat, you know? And it's funny because we were doing testing for the menu the other day. And I, all I did was I took a, a T-bone, I call it the Porker House from Heritage. Uh, <laughs> sent me out a couple cuts. And all we did was just really great fennel pollen from Italy, some dried orange zest, cracked black pepper and sea salt. And Mm. I sliced it up and I put it in front of um, our two owners and he eats it not knowing what it is. And he said, wow, this is the best steak I've ever had. (laughs) Right. I said, actually, that's pork. And he's like, what? Really? And, you know, it was just so flavorful and so juicy. And, you know, you, you feel good about eating it. You feel good about putting it into your body. And. I, I think the thing that just made me come become so aware of it was when I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. You know, I have had Hashimoto's since I was in my early 20s in this industry. And that makes you really conscious of what you do your body and how, because everything affects you, you know, and it's mm-hmm. hormonal, you know, and if you're pumping those animals full of hormones so that they can survive in those brutal environments and with the, the wind chill and the rain and the cold and they're not meant to live and and exist that way. And just think about that. You know, you're starting out with something that's so just in such bad shape and that's nutrients and, and provide sustenance for you. And it's just, it's not, it's just not the way you're supposed to live. (laughs) It seems logical. It seems logical. 
Then we have a conversation with Alex Pitts, and he said that you can actually taste the pain in the oh, animal. Very true. I mean, when, uh, when that's, a, that's a, a valid statement. I mean, when it's not slaughtered correctly and it, yeah. the fear and the shock goes through the body, it actually mm-hmm. breaks down the integrity of the meat and it ends up spongy. And it ends, it's just, it's sad. It's like eating a sad piece of meat. And we've all been there where, where something wasn't done correctly. And that's the funny part is you can treat the animal well its entire life but then if you slaughter incorrectly and there's that fear that goes throughout the animal and it, it just it destroys the meat and that's you know that's why I love the Creekstone products because a lot of things people don't think synonymous with the Creekstone name is that Temple Brandon designed that kill floor you know and she changed things like instead of the prodding of the, the cows with the, the hot irons you had a yellow and blue paddle that 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 those colors encourage the cows to come in that direction. You know, they feel like they're in their natural environment outside. They there's mimicked rain and, and the outside environment. So they feel up until that point, very comfortable and very at ease and that they're in their natural environment, you know, and it's very humane. And, you know, if we're going to eat meat, which I know some people out there kind of go the opposite direction because they see all the extremes in the industry, if you're going to eat it, eat it right, you know, and, right. and really mm-hmm. respect the farmers who are doing it the right way. Yeah. We need to definitely continue this conversation. All of us to it's make an elaborate conversation, right? It's an elaborate <laughs> conversation, but even, even in like bites like this, um, I think it's important because as people hear it more, they're starting to realize I need to hear this conversation because I think some people get squeamish, like, Ooh, the kill room, the slaughterhouse. Right. It's like, it's like you said, if you're going to eat meat, you need to know where it comes from and how it's slaughtered because not only will it affect the flavor, but it also affects future generations for a million reasons. And um, their children and their health and you know, the, yes, yeah, everything. That. So at your new restaurants, are you kind of like, um, is one of your goals to provide your consumers or guests the education and appreciation? Education is such an integral part of any restaurant success. And, you know, I think it's something that sometimes gets put by the wayside. And that's why I'm so excited to to work with Jason Rochlau, who has been with Mina for years. You know, he's always been heavily influenced on education and in the messaging and a big part of our training program will just be getting the word out to the staff first, have them tasting everything and standing behind what we're doing and selling that to the guests, you know, because ultimately, I mean, Carne Vino was a success for a number of reasons, but Carne Vino was a success because people felt comfortable there. They felt comfortable with the food and we weren't reinventing the wheel. You know, we were just taking really great products and, and treating them well and, and, putting great ingredients on a plate, you know, and it sounds like it's kind of elementary, but you know, it's something that gets messed up more than more often. Yeah. <laughs> Not, so, well, speaking of great ingredients, uh, we got to talk a little bit about seafood as well, because you can't have a coastal Italian restaurant without great fish and sustainable is something that I saw a lot um, in reading about this restaurant. So what, what are we looking for in, in the way of fish and fish dishes? What's coming? We've got a, a beautiful wood-fired grill, which is really the focal point of the kitchen. And there's so much we can do with that grill. We want to do whole fish. We want to do shellfish. We want to do, obviously, the, the cuts of meat, but vegetables as well. And it's just going to impart all these great flavors into the ingredients that we're using. Um, but I did just get back from about almost three months in Mexico. I did a, a small stint with a company out there and really got introduced to a lot of great shellfish. Um, one of my new favorite fish I'm trying to bring 
coming to Vegas is called Totoaba. And uh, it was actually on the Chinese black market for years because of their swim bladders. And uh, now it's farmed out of Ensenada. And I think that something that it's, it's crazy how many COVID has done so many things to our industry that we could, this would be probably 50 podcasts that we could do, <laughs> but it's changed our industry in so many ways for, for good and bad. And I think that something that I'm talking to a lot of my fish vendors about right now is it how many chefs I'm from the East coast. A lot of chefs that I know have moved to Vegas from the East coast. We're used to Rhode Island products, you know, or products out of Boston or out of Maine. And, and we've just been so lenient on those products because we've known them for so many years and we just naturally want to ship of them to Vegas. So we have that main lobster and that flavor, that profile that we're used to, but it doesn't really make sense from a, a minimal carbon footprint. Um, mm -hmm mentality so let's let's start to see what's going on in mexico and in, in san diego mm -hmm. and in some of those closer areas where santa barbara it, exactly where mm -hmm. the shipping makes sense and and we have these great products that have in small farms and sustainable farms that have really grown immensely over the last five or ten years and can get these amazing products so so this is something Louis loves nerding out about is grilling. And I had read that you want to use white oak to impart flavor uh, onto the meats and, and whatever you'll be cooking on that grill. That's your star. So what do you like about white oak as opposed to like maybe, you know, like a fruit wood or like a maple or an alder wood or something? I would say white oak or apple wood have been kind of my go-to. But the thing I like about white oak is it's not competing with the flavors of the actual thing that you're grilling you know if we're doing some some whole fish and or calamari or chicala or whatever we're doing i i want it to be a subtle smoky wood flavor but not overpowering to where you actually taste the ingredients and integrity of the actual product as well plus like oak burns hot slow, right and hot, slow. hot and slow yeah, yeah. yeah. So it only makes sense, you know, especially if it's like an all nighter. I mean, this exactly. other is going to be the star. Like so. an Aaron Franklin kind of meat. <laughs> he loves white oak as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's kind of like a central Texas thing. Uh -huh. A lot of those guys out there in Austin use uh, white oak. I also, so I thought it was I mean, interesting I, when I read that about you. I grew up chopping wood. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> You're Nicole awesome. the lumberjack. <laughs> I, I can't actually see Nicole doing that though. I can like, too, because remember, <laughs> she's a beast. <laughs> I love that. I would love for someone to call me a beast. Like, I, I love that. Like, I take that with like so much compliment. It's like, she's a beast. Ooh, awesome. She's strong. You, should, you know what I mean? You should, like, you should try. <laughs> you should yeah. try splitting wood then. <laughs> right? Yeah. I think I'm going to have to on my next trip to Wisconsin. <laughs> Lorraine, the lumberjack. Yeah, right? I can see this. <laughs> put on my flannel and my boots. Be right? awesome. I know. No. Well, yeah. at that point, you're just a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to join your team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we digress, Nicole. Um, anyway, sorry. So, so, so you are constantly, um, you're constantly innovating. You're constantly like working. Um, and so do you have any time for self-care? We like to ask this, not just to chefs, but particularly to female chefs, because I feel like we tend to take on so much. And as you kind of said at the beginning mm -hmm. of the podcast, that you're like constantly trying to prove yourself even extra. So what do you do <laughs> for yourself and your personal life to make it so that you don't break down and that you don't go through a lot of the things that chefs go through? 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is something I'm horrible at, to be honest with you, because my ment- I kind of got <laughs> into this business because I came from a horribly dysfunctional family. So it was my way of of coping and, and dealing. And it just, the kitchen kind of came natural. And, and I think what a lot of people don't understand, like now that we're talking about the focus of kind of mental health and I've just, I've had so many friends just this last couple months alone that have really reached out for help and assistant and family members. And it's just been, it's been such a trying year in so many ways. And I think a lot of that is from COVID and different things, but, mm-hmm. um, God, that's a, it's such a loaded question. I mean, I I need to get better. I I think something that this last year has taught me is that once we get these restaurants open, I just, I really want to take time to, to seek some professional help. And that's, for me, that was always like a, we showed a weakness. You know, I said as a young person in this industry in my twenties or, or teenage years, I said, that's wh- why would I do that? I'm smart enough. And I, I know if I'm depressed that I can overcome it. I know if I'm, I'm stressed, I need to just spend some time decompressing, but that's not always necessarily true. And I think that we can turn into own worst enemies and we, and some of these things end up actually enabling our success. And uh, one of my mentors said to me probably 20 years ago, he said, the best money I ever spent was on my mental health. And that's when I I started seeking counseling because he came from a a similar background that I came from. And it's um, honestly, everybody asks me all the time. They say, if you're not cooking, what would you be doing? And there's so many things that I love doing. I love traveling. I love reading. I love writing. I love um, cooking at home and entertaining. Um, There's gardening, you know, I mean, being by the beach there, that I do enjoy. I'm just, I'm really bad about taking the time for myself. And I've always been that mentality of, I don't have kids. So the, the people that I work with, they end up being kind of my extended family. And I always prioritize them because they have kids and they have wives and they have husbands. And I'm always the one who says, well, you know, you be with your family and I'll take time when that time comes. And a lot of times that time does not come. So, um, I think this last year was really important for me. For, so for the first time ever, I just kind of took a month and I decompressed and I, I stayed home and I reflected and I probably had more interviews this last year than I had in my entire career because I've never really had to interview for a position. And I wanted to make sure that this next step I took in my career was the right step for, for my future, for my staff's future, and that I was growing with a company that that had longevity and and like I said, we were, we were just kind of putting the, the building blocks in the right place. And, you know, for me, it's not my success isn't necessarily the sole importance of, of a restaurant because it's like, the, what's the expression? Like it takes, it takes a village and it right. really takes a village to, to build a restaurant or build a restaurant group. And I wouldn't be able to be successful if it wasn't for the people who have supported me over all these years. And I want to continue to to support myself with those great people and incentivize them to have great futures and retirement plans and, and the things that they need for their families. So I don't know if I really answered the question. No, you no, did. And, and it, it put a few things in my head. One was I get it until, you know, opening a restaurant is super crazy. It's the craziest thing you could possibly do as like a, it's a suicide now. mission. Yeah. From like, you're so, you're so good at it though. I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't think of any other chef in Vegas. It's like, Hey, let's open a new one, <laughs> you know, yeah. and now two, you're opening two. two. You're opening yeah. two. So, 
I get like the idea of waiting till you do like a huge decompression, you know, like whether it's like, you know, a trip or like some big thing, but then like, there's gotta be ways like along the way in the next few months for you where Mm -hmm. you take, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Or even like a, a half a day, a half a day or something, you know, where you're worrying about your life and your things and, you know. And, and I think that's something that the last couple of years has taught me is I have to be right. selfish because if I don't be selfish, then I'm, I'm not doing anybody any good around me. I'm actually, it's becoming more detrimental. And, and also you know. reframe that a little bit too, because I don't really honestly think it's selfish. I think mm. it's like one of those things. It's like an ox. It's like the old oxygen thing. You know, you got to put on your mask first before you put on mm-hmm. like the person next yeah. to you. Yeah, and true. so if you're not doing as well as you could be at the very top, which is you're at the top of your game and you're at the top of the kitchen, then like, that's going to trickle down. To, you got to think about it that way. Cause if you're like a selfless person and you're like, exactly. I want to help these people, people are depending on me. Right. And, exactly. And, yeah, you wanna- so you need to put on that oxygen mask. And one of the things that Louie and I can do, which we need to do more of, to be honest. And it's like, we're going to check in with you. We're going to like text yeah. you and be like, Hey, did you take a minute? Because <laughs> I feel like if there's anything you've learned in the last year, like, especially is that let's not wait to like, it's too late to do that with our chef friends and our, mm-hmm. I, I think and our people. We yeah. all realize as a community, especially over these, these last few months is that right. we, but we, you forget that we are there for each other, you know? Right. And you know, somebody, quite a few people, I mean, just like Jolene and, and Brian Howard and Jeff and Rhonda from Arche Bacchus, you know, like we, we would just start spending these, evenings together just drinking wine and cooking together and kind of like just food being the focal point just talking you know talking about you know Jeff and Rhonda were great when when I opened a restaurant off the strip because they gave me a lot of like really just great advice and then when I was taking the next step in my career Brian Howard was an instrumental part of that that progress because he had been down some of these rocky roads that I was navigating. And, you know, we were able to just talk about contracts and, you know, how to read them and, and what, what is good for a chef versus what's good for a front of the house person, you know? And I think that for years, chefs were kind of treated like idiot savants, like, oh, just go to the stove, you know, just do what you do best, you know? And we're that, especially in Vegas, we're not, that's not who we are. You know, we're operators. Mm-hmm. We're in the PL meetings. We're responsible for, for food costs, for labor. You know, we are, we're very multifaceted chefs, which can add a whole nother level of stress, but I'm very excited to see our industry changing here in Vegas, where you're seeing chefs kind of own the operations a little bit more and, and open these hospitality groups, like seeing Gary and, and Brian and, um, even Francesco Lafranconi and like just think that they've really done great for themselves. And I, I think that's, that's where we really thrive because we're using all of our talents and surrounding ourselves by, with talented people. And I think the more that we go down those, those paths and those directions, just our city is going to explode. And we're, I can't mm-hmm. wait to be finally recognized as one of the best culinary cities in the United States. You right. know, we're, we're almost there. We're almost yeah. there, like at the precipice of, like yeah. I'm working hard, like really putting eyes on everybody right now. So. And bottom line, check in on each other. Let's move on to show and tell with Nicole Brisson. Um, what did you bring today? Okay, so when you said the show and tell, you said something that you can't live without, but it wasn't necessarily, I really, we've been playing around with so many pastas for the new menu at Brezza. And I started kind of looking at some of my artisanal 
pasta boards. Like this is an old gnocchi board that I yes. an antique shop in Italy. I have um, this Corsetti stamp where uh, <gasps> we're actually doing a stuffed Corsetti, which isn't traditional. It's um, mm. kind of a little bit of a, a fun approach. You know, typically it's just the stamp pasta right. that you you toss with different ingredients and we're doing a stuffed one, which is really fun because I think Americans just naturally love stuffed pastas. Yeah. And I also had a beautiful um, copper pastry wheel that I wanted to bring, but uh, we created this entire pasta position for this young uh, female cook in Mexico and just taught her how to make raviolis and uh, pappardelle and tagliatelle and just all these simple pasta preparations. And she's now the pasta production person out in Cabo. So I gifted it to her right before I left because I figured I continue to travel throughout Italy and I can get some new stuff. But she was just so touched. And, you know, I I feel like that's what these things should be. They should be passed down. You know, they should be passed down to to the people that you work with and and give them the the tools that they need to be successful. And and with them, they, they naturally take this on to the next part of their career. Show us that gnocchi tool. You said that was old? So this is an old mm. just antique gnocchi board. So you can do you can do cavatelli on here, which is right? super easy. You yeah. can do garganelle with a pencil mm-hmm. or a, a rod. You can do gnocchi. So it's it's kind of multifaceted, but just an old We're- rustic board. So let's move on to on the fly. Yeah. And this is simple, 60 seconds, rapid fire questions, kind of like a chef on the line. You're doing it on the fly. Let me get your timer ready. It's ready. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to start this. So, Louis, go ahead. And go. Favorite pasta. Favorite pasta, garganelli. Pandemic comfort food. Soup. What kind? Uh, probably pho. Uh, good one. Favorite fish to cook. Now, recently, totoaba. <laughs> we need a picture of that. Yeah. Bucket list spot to travel and eat. Spain. Biggest cook pet peeves. Crying. <laughs> no, no feelings. No emotions. <laughs> What's your cooking soundtrack? Uh, <laughs> probably the Ramones or uh, yeah. Dead Milkmen. Nice. Uh, first thing you'll do when the pandemic's finally fucking over. Go to Italy. Yay! Best thing about opening a new restaurant? <sighs> Camaraderie. Worst thing? Lack of sleep. <laughs> Last question, Lou. What did you want to be in kindergarten? <sighs> Honestly, I always wanted to be in this industry. I grew up with it. Oh. My mom was my sister's chef. It's my grandfather owned a restaurant in Saratoga. So I think it was in my blood. It's in the That's family. So awesome. All right. One All last right. thing, Nicole. Let's go ahead and sell it for Brezza and Barzazu. Whatever you want to say. It's your time. What do you want people to know out there? I, I honestly just, I feel like we're, this is going to sound so cheesy and corny. <laughs> But I have so many customers that are sprinkled all across the United States who have been following me for years. And I feel like I'm creating a home for them again at Barzazu and Brezza. And I can't wait to just welcome my guests back home and cook for them again and give them a, a fun environment to, to relax and enjoy food and wine. We're so happy for you. We're so glad. 
we, when we heard what was going on, we were like, yay, yay. Right? I know, yay like, for Nicole, bam. yay. Thank you. Because yet last year sucked for everybody. And like, you know, you had your challenges last year, but this year, fuck it, it's awesome now. Like this, if you knew this was on the other side, there would have never been like any stress at all because this is so awesome. Like you're I'm, I'm, gonna thrive. I'm excited, thank you. I'm so yeah. excited for you. Thank you so much for speaking with us. And we're going to be checking in for reals. Thank you. We look forward to cooking for you soon. Yay. Can't wait. Summer. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. If you like what you've heard, please like, share, and subscribe. We stream new episodes every other Monday. We love hearing from everybody, so please get social with us on Instagram at Two Sharp Chefs, on Facebook at Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Plus, check out my cooking blog at FromChefWithLove.com and Louis's amazing photography at LouisVicta.com. It's been a pleasure. We're 86 till next time.